available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us, at pac12podcast. Now you can send us a text or a voicemail at 424 532 0678. Of course, go to our website, pack12podcast.com. All of our contact information is there, and you can find all our old episodes. And this episode is one you're going to fi- you want to find down the road, Dave, because we got a really special guest today. We do. We do. Uh, the guy who basically nobody does it better in terms of uh, Pac 12 coverage. And I say that freely as a uh, Pac 12 podcast. <laughs> we've, got, we've got John Wilner, the great one. <laughs> We wanted actual knowledge today instead of just us rambling on. So John Wilner, uh, you know him from the San Jose Mercury News. You can follow him on Twitter at Wilner Hotline. He does a great hotline that, that you need to sign up for the newsletter he does. It's awesome. He's a great follow on Twitter, and, and he does podcasts too. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. I am honored. So, John, we've got – I mean – Absolute ton to talk about um, with the Pac-12. Um, you've been just kind of breaking news and, and providing great analysis left and right um, in terms of TV contracts, apparel deals, uh, AD salaries, so on and so forth. Um, I, I guess I, I think the topic on most people's mind is probably the Pac-12 network and the state of it, at least when they're thinking about the conference in general. Um, I, I know you've written a ton about this at this point, but when when you're thinking about the fundamental like most underlying issue for why the Pac-12 is falling so far behind, what would you peg it as? Oof, I thought we were going to talk about the predator position um, <laughs> uh, and and Clancy's latest uh, breakdown of his third string. Uh, That's the third real string stuff. options. Yeah, we we'll get to that, that later. That yeah. is the real stuff. Okay, <laughs> the Pac-12 networks, man, that could be a whole show. In fact, the Pac-12 networks could do a whole show about their show. Um, (laughs) Look, you know, there's a lot there, but it all gets down to supply and demand, right? And is there enough demand to support the supply that the conference is providing? And by supply, you know, I don't mean the number of games, especially football, men's basketball. I mean the, the content, the six different regional feeds and all of the Olympic sports content, 850 events. And that's a, they're under contract with Comcast for 800 and Cox and others for 850 live events across seven different feeds, if you will. And I'm not sure that there's the audience for that. And the distributors are not sure that there's an audience for that. And, and after five and a half years, there's no reason to think that um, 
you know, a, a uh, Big Ten model was, wouldn't have been the best option, where you have one national feed, you partner with Fox or ESPN, and you, you load that national feed up with football, men's basketball, and then you, you, know, you support it with high-end Olympic sports uh, when they're available. You know, that worked for the Big Ten. It, it's worked for the SEC. Pac-12 went a different way, and, and it's not, you know, the, the underlying economics of supply and demand don't seem to support the decision. Yeah, I think we all, I mean, Dave and I, I think agree with you that that's, you know, it seems like that's the, the, the smart way to go, the way everyone else has done it. The Pac-12 kind of went on their own and did their own thing. And, you know, maybe if all the cable companies and DirecTV collapse, maybe the Pac-12 position, well, I don't even know if that's the case. But the I think the interesting thing that came out of this recently was the subscriber fees uh, and the Pac-12 network, along with a few others, the only ones that have been going down and the Pac-12 by far going down the most. I know there's a little hit to the big, t- the big, t- uh, the big ten with the Comcast reducing, uh, you know, out of their footprint, and even though it's a huge footprint, reducing the number of homes that would get the the Big Ten network. But maybe how that works in, if you want to talk about the subscriber fees and then what that means with the Big Twelve and what they were doing with Comcast, or Big Ten. Sorry. Well, we, the Big Ten situation, it, 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 my understanding is that it's not as big a deal as it sounds like. Uh, Big Ten market is is gigantic in terms of population, um, and you you hear oh you know they're dropping it you know uh, outside of the outside of the states that have the schools, you know New York City for instance um, doesn't have Comcast, so there's no hit to any kind of Big Ten network reach into New York City, which is obviously the big uh, the big one. So it, it's Albuquerque, it's Atlanta, it's Billings, Montana, it's the Comcast systems in outlaw hinterland states are dropping the Big Ten network, but there aren't that many people in those states that have it, and the folks that do are paying for it on a sports tier because the Big Ten network is not on basic cable outside the footprint. It's on a sports tier, which is standard. So if you are a Ohio state fan and you're living in Fresno uh, and you're paying for big 10 network on Comcast and they drop it. Well, if you're that big a fan, you're going to just go ahead and get direct TV or you're going to get something else. That's got the big 10 network. If that's why, if that's why you're paying for, for the sports tier, you're going to find that Ohio state stuff somewhere else. So what they lose in their Comcast, uh, subscriptions, they may very well gain th- through other carriers, but it is a small, the Comcast, when you tally up the number of, of Comcast subscribers for the Big Ten Network out of market, what they're paying, what the total dollar figure it hit is to the conference, and compare that to what the the revenue that that, that thing is generating for its schools it's like one and a half or 2%. I mean, they're going to distribute $50 million to every campus this year. And we're talking about, you know, maybe losing a million bucks per, per campus from this Comcast deal. I don't know if it'll even be that. So it is an incremental amount of money. As far as the PAC 12 network situation, 
the subscriber fee has dropped, dropped significantly, uh, according to SNL Kagan, from 30 cents to 11 cents over the last five years. That is a basically an average of what subscribers are paying all across the country, right? Because if you are a Pac-12 network subscriber in LA or in the Bay Area, Portland, Seattle, the so-called local markets, you're paying a high fee. You're paying probably 90 cents. If you're a Pac-12 network subscriber in Orlando, you're paying five cents. So basically that number that has dropped is an average. And it, the reason it dropped is because they have added more subscribers out of market. So the number of people paying the lower fee has grown, hence bringing the average down. In a way, it's a good thing because when Dish decided uh, a year and a half ago to put the Pac-12 networks on a more basic tier, they gained exposure in another, I don't know, five, six million homes that had Dish. So that was a good thing. They're gaining exposure, but there are fewer people, uh, or a higher percentage of people are now paying that very cheap out-of-market rate. So the whole the fee came down. Now, does that m- make it worthwhile? Well, I, I don't know, because we'll have to see. Uh, it's a complicated calculation, and you, don't, you just don't know exactly where, you know, where the percentages are highest. There's three different tiers of fee level, I believe. And, you know, if you get the national... If you have one of the regional feeds, then the, you get the national for, for free. I mean, it's very complicated. Uh, but overall, it's not the disaster that it looks like when you see 30 cents go down to 11 cents because they're gaining subscribers. But they are way, way, way behind everybody else. So I guess, uh, I mean, I think we both have, I mean, we all have issues with kind of the model they've chosen. Even if... Um, they say wanted. That was a to... damn long answer. Sorry about that. No, no, no. That was that was that was awesome. My God. Uh, <laughs> even if they wanted to move away from kind of the model they're on, do they have any flexibility to do that until the next renegotiation? Like, is there any flexibility for them to actually fix the inherent problems with the network until the next rights negotiation? My understanding is there are very few things they can do. Um, and I asked Mark Shukin the the new president of Pac-12 Networks, who I think is, uh, I think the networks are going to be served well by having Shukin in charge. He seems to have a good understanding of the challenges and the landscape, uh, and he's pretty honest. So his explanation, because a lot of fans want to know, well, why can't they just create their own streaming? Why can't I just pay the conference $4.99 a month and get a Pac-12 streaming app and watch everything. And the reason they can't do that is because it would undermine their contracts with their current distributors. That is not an option. Pac-12 doing its own over the top is not an option, at least for the next five or six years. The only options are on the, the linear traditional side, getting a deal done with direct TV, which I'm sure we'll talk about, or, expanding their streaming offerings right now they've got fubo and they've got sling uh and i'm sure they are talking 
constantly with YouTube TV, PlayStation View, uh, you know, Hulu. I'm sure they're talking to all of them and hoping to make some deals, but uh, they do not have much flexibility. For all Larry Scott's talk about being nimble with the 100% ownership model, they actually do not have a whole lot of flexibility here in the next few years because they can't start their own over-the-top service. Yeah, I so, have. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what you see is pretty. What you see right now is pretty much what you're going to get for six more years. Yay! Thanks, Larry. <laughs> uh, I, six I have, more years, right? So yeah. The, the conferences, the deals with ESPN, everything is pinned towards the deals with ESPN and Fox, and those expire basically June 30th of 2024. So. These, the new deal will probably be done a year before that. So sometime in the spring of 2023, the new deal will be in place, which means the negotiations will probably start sometime in the late fall, early winter of, of 2022, which actually isn't that far away. So uh, it will be a long time before the new deals kick in, but the start of the negotiations isn't, isn't actually that far away. I have a sling in my office here and uh, I get the, so you get the regional networks, but you don't get the national network, which is kind of strange. And just, and like you mentioned before, just having all those regional networks with a bunch of stuff that people aren't watching just muddies the water. It complicates the, the computations and the calculations you have to make. It just seems to make things overly complicated. And there's really, there's not a demand there for the, the fans that are saying, well, not as many people care about the PAC 12 and football and things like that. Well, if that's the case, and you know that going in, why would you make seven networks when the SEC only has one? Well, that's a good question, and that's something that you know uh, I think is going to Larry Scott's going to take to the end of his career at the Pac-12. Is why did you do this? I mean, basically they got ahead of their skis. Larry Scott and the consultants he used, and the folks from their you know, for lack of a better term, their their founding partners in the in demand uh, the in demand group of Comcast, Cox, Time Warner, and Bright House. Those were the four founding distribution partners, and most of the negotiations and formulation was done with folks from uh, from Time Warner and and uh, and Comcast. And they, along with the consultants and Larry Scott, hatched this idea to super serve all the fans with these six different regional feeds and, and uh, you know, promote the Olympic sports with, with uh, you know, 500 different Olympic sport events. Meanwhile, the folks who probably had the best feel for the, you know, for the local markets, for the demand uh, across the conference – folks on the campuses, the athletic directors were not really part of the negotiations. I think that was one of Larry Scott's big mistakes was not involving the athletic directors, not involving more traditional uh, collegiate sports media consultants uh, in what he was doing. He kind of carved his own path with what he did and who he relied on. And, and I think they may have gotten ahead of their skis for sure in terms of uh, in terms of demand. I mean, there is nobody other than friends and family. Uh, there is almost nobody watching, uh, you know, the average typical Olympic sports event on these on these stations. And yet the expense or on the regional networks yet the expense for all the networks and for all those events is enormous. I mean, it's 
producing a, a, a tennis match, you know, that's twenty-five dollars to $50,000 per event. Uh, it is a huge expense what they've got set up. They have no way to dismantle it in the next few years because, again, they're under contract for all those events with Comcast. So if they went to Comcast and said, you know what, this isn't working, we want to downsize, Comcast can say, okay, fine, but then we're downsizing what, what we're paying you. So they are in a little bit, uh, they're a little bit stuck and, and it's not going to be again until the middle of the next decade before uh, we see a different version of what we've got. So the DirecTV question is a boring one. So I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a spin on it. <laughs> what happens first? UCLA wins a Rose Bowl for the first time since 1986, <laughs> or the Pac-12 network can be viewed on the DirecTV. Let me answer that with a going a different way. I believe that we will have complete clarity on the DirecTV situation this summer. Uh, because the contract with AT&T, which covers the U-verse distribution for the Pac-12 networks, which covers, uh, you know, uh, wireless rights on campuses, uh, on the uh, athletic side of campuses, sponsorship, equipment, all this, these things in this comprehensive deal they've got with AT&T, that all expires this summer. And... I don't see why they're going to continue. They're going to have, make a new deal if if Directv is not part of it, right? I mean, AT and T is trying to push everything to Directv and Directv now and away from Uverse. So if if they're going to re-sign with the Pac-12 for everything else, they're going to find a way to get a deal done with Directv. At the same time, if AT and T is not interested in in, in meeting the Pac-12 halfway on, on DirecTV, they're going to take everything and walk away. And Shukin said that as much too. He said, we're not interested in having a, a basically having to deal with Direct, with AT&T if DirecTV is not part of it. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to cut it halfway. They want the whole thing or nothing. And I think that we'll know this summer, either that deal is going to expire and the two sides are going to go their separate ways with no DirecTV and no Uverse. Or they're going to find a way to finally meet halfway and, and get get the deal done. But by week one, by September first, we'll know it's either Directv or it will never be Directv. Wow, that's really interesting. When's UCLA going to win? By the way, uh, <laughs> let, let, let me think here. What are we in twenty eighteen? I'll give them twenty 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 one. I will give them a Rose Bowl win twenty twenty one. Wow. Dave will All take right. that. Yeah, it's been since he was born, so that's good. I was I was um I was a babe of a month and a half when UCLA <laughs> last won a Rose Bowl. Um John. It is remarkable. It's remarkable that it has been that long. And it's also remarkable that it has been since nineteen ninety eight that they've won the conference title. When you think about uh you know, they went back to back, right? And then they uh mm-hmm. 20 years and you think about all the teams that have won the conference title since then and how much more UCLA has going for it than most of those teams it is quite remarkable that the Bruins have not won the conference title and you think about all the great coaches they've had in that time and it's just (laughs) it just stuns you even more 
A little snow. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, deep sarcasm. Yeah. Deep sarcasm. <laughs> John, one last thing on that, unless Dave, had some, unless Dave had something else. This is sort of a positive. I don't want to like just hammer the Pac-12 on the, the distribution stuff, but um, what do you think about the Sirius XM deal? I've, I don't have it, so I haven't listened too much. I've been a guest on, I think it was Guy and uh, Ryan Leaf show. Uh, it seems like that would be a really positive thing and a good thing to have your own kind of shows on the radio, on satellite radio. Any thoughts on that? What, what do you think about it? Yeah, no, I think it was a good deal for them, for sure. You know, it's just, uh, it's another avenue to engage with their fans. And, and certainly there's a lot of fans in Pac-12 that sit in traffic for a long time. Uh, so, uh, I thought it was a great deal. I don't have it either. So I don't know how the content is going. I also am unclear as to how they are going to handle broadcasts of live, live events next, next winter. If, if, you know, UCLA and Stanford are playing at the same time, Arizona and Oregon are playing, what, what game is going on the, the Pac-12 channel? I don't know how they're going to do that. Uh, Sirius has got a lot. Of, they're handling most of this. It's like their baby, and they have negotiated the new uh, rights licensing rights agreements with the campuses, not the Pac-12. So Pac-12 is providing content and all that, and advice and all that. But a lot of it is really Sirius's baby. And I th- but I think it's great. It's a it's a good way. There's what 30 million subscribers. So it's it's uh, it's good for the Pac-12 to get out there. Um, you know, is there going to be a material impact on, say, recruiting? I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, it's certainly better than not being on Sirius. That's for sure. I think there's three people on this line that should be on that channel, too. And I don't know how we're not. What's going on? <laughs> that would make it better, John. Come on. Two, two of you and two, two of you and none of me and one of one of David, huh? No, no. You, <laughs> man. Come on. We could we could fill so much time. We yes. could fill so much time. You guys, you guys know how to do it. You guys could do great. <laughs> I, would, I would listen. Uh, I could add to your up. add to your empire. Add to your empire. <laughs> um, so I I think we've done the Pac-12 network to death. It's it's it is what it is. Um, but the inequity with the network also. I think it kind of correlates and probably is somewhat linked to the inequity of. Um, uh, Pactual performance actually in football and basketball compared to the other leagues. Now, um, I, how, I guess that is a good linking question. How do you think it's the, there's a correlation there at all between the, the, as of yet, the money that's pouring into these other leagues and, you know, them getting into the playoffs with regularity and, you know, winning basketball national championships and winning football national championships and the Pac-12 kind of falling behind in performance as well. Like, do you think it's do you think it's related um, to money yet? Not yet, but you can see how uh, you can see how that foundation is being laid. I believe, and not just money, but exposure. Um, and I think it is much more. Uh, you know, the I think the instinct for a lot of folks is to just equate uh, fo- football's terrible, basketball's terrible. Let's you know blame the conference. But the two sports are so different, uh, and the structures and the, the player development, it's all so different that I don't know you can compare. To me, basketball, basketball problems uh, were not related 
not as systemic, for instance, as, as the football issues are. Um, football, you know, basketball, you get a couple of guys come into the league one year and, uh, you know, one recruiting cycle, and a lot of things can change, right? You get Lonzo Ball right. coming in, and things, things can – and DeAndre Ayton, things, things change. And, and it's so fluid, and it depends so much on, on just getting a couple of guys and maybe having a break or two in the tournament. Um, and, you know, th- what, last, last spring they had three, three teams in the Sweet 16. Football is much more complicated, right? I mean, it's like a football program and, and it's like a living organism. You got to have every facet functioning properly, the liver and the kidney and the heart. It's all got to be working together on the campus level in order to have a successful football program. But at the same time, that's also true with the conference. You've got to have the conference and all of its facets, whether it's the compliance component or the the media component or the scheduling component, those have all got to be working together as well with the, the programs themselves to maximize your product. I mean, the SEC, the fans hate each other. Big Ten fans hate each other, but those conferences and those campuses are all moving in lockstep to try to ensure the best possible football product. Pac-12, we've seen some instances where the conference, it doesn't seem like the conference is always looking out for the best for its football programs. Not that it's actively working against but it may be not working as aggressively as I think it could be to trying to better the programs top to bottom. Um, and, and so much of it is related to exposure and resources. I'm one example of that you mentioned with the, you know, the money is so PAC 12 schools are losing assistant coaches to better paying jobs in the East and the South, those assistant coaches turn around and come back out here and recruit against the Pac-12, lure, trying to lure the top players back east, right? I mean, look at Alabama. I mean, that's the that's the best example of what's going on here, right? They win the national title with a tailback from the Bay Area and a quarterback from Hawaii and a starting offensive tackle from Sacramento. That These guys were lured out to Tuscaloosa and assistant coach Tosh Lupoy, who's doing a lot of the work is a former PAC 12 guy. Who's, who's now working there. Look at Alex Grinch just got hired away as he's a Washington state's defensive coordinator gets hired to Ohio state staff as, as the 10th assistant, you know, he is from Ohio. Sure. But the PAC 12, the way things are going, it's going to be hard to compete money wise to keep head coaches and assistant coaches uh, on staff. And that's going to make it harder for the programs to, uh, you know, to compete at that national level. John, I agree on the, uh, on the basketball front, you know, pretty good year last year or 2016. And uh, I mean, sorry, 2017 and this year with no teams making it past Thursday, the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, it just, Following the one and eight bowl performance, I think that's what made it so bad. Um, oh sure, but absolutely. You, any of the the but then the, some of the numbers came out. I think you were reporting on this. The earnings 
the schools lost a lot of money compared to all the other conferences by not having anyone advance in the tournament. There's actually money compared, you know, tied to your performance. You know, the bowl games you still get paid for the NCAA tournament. I think the Pac-12 lost on a lot more money from that. They did. Um, yeah, I mean, they they are collecting the their units. I'm not remembering exactly, but I believe the units they earned this year are going to be worth about five million over the course of the six year payout period. And some other conference, some you know, Big Twelve, ACC, they're getting you know what twenty, twenty five, thirty million. Uh, so certainly that is a significant amount of money. But you know, when you compare it to the the money involved on the football side with media rights, it's and NCAA tournament can end up being, uh, you know, it's a much smaller sum because remember that's it's a six year rolling payout period, so it's this is one year in that six year period where they didn't do well, but last year they did they did very well on the payouts, so um, it's uh, it, it is it is not insignificant, but compared to football uh it's it is a a much smaller percentage of the of the campus revenue intake and and, but you're right in general i mean it was that you you come you add the basketball collapse to the way the football season went with no not only was it the one and eight bowl record and nobody being in the playoff but to me what was and, and then you know, the China shoplifting and the FBI scandal <laughs> and the, the tiff with ESPN. And it was, I, I, I wrote this, it was about the worst seven month stretch any major conference has ever undergone. When you combine the, the performances on the field and court with the stuff going on off the court. But to me, what was most, maybe most uh, damaging for the PAC 12 during football season wasn't not getting a team in the playoff, but it was, not really having a team in the conversation for November, right? Because Washington uh, and USC, what was the closest they really ever got to being in that conversation? I think it's possible the Huskies were eighth at one point, and I don't know the highest USC was, maybe eighth or ninth. But the last couple weeks of the season, when everybody is focused on those who's getting in, Pac-12 was not even in the final discussion much less actually in the semifinals. And to me, that's what's going to be so important this coming year. At least be in the discussion. At least have a team that is in the top five or six. So you're part of the whole hoopla. Don't be on the back burner, which is what happened. And I think that's even in some ways more damaging from an exposure standpoint than not having somebody in one of the semifinal games, they, they were just the conference was off the radar for for the better part of November, and that's a huge missed opportunity. I'm I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at the national champions in football over the last 12 years, and 11 of the 12 years it was either an SEC school or an ACC school. And when you think about those two leagues, what they have in common, at least right now, I don't know if this has always been true, but I think as uh, is they've only played eight conference games. What so first they're never changing. I can't imagine they're ever changing. Uh, what is? I mean, do you think the Pac-12? I know Larry Scott has said in the past that they don't really foresee changing to an eight-game conference schedule. Just some kind of banal thing about well, we want everyone to be on an even playing field. But do you think the Pac-12 will ever acquiesce to 
switching to an eight-game conference schedule? Uh, I do not. At least not in the uh, not as a 12, 12 school conference. You know, uh, who knows what could happen down the road in terms of a realignment? But as it's currently structured, I don't I don't see it changing. And I would say that the ACC will change when the SEC does for sure. The ACC won't be the only one playing eight. The question is when or if the SEC will ever change. You know, the Big Ten just went up to nine a couple of years ago. That's the trend. That's what the committee is pushing for. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. The PAC 12 is not the SEC. It doesn't, eight is not going to work and it's not going to work on a number of levels. You know, I asked uh, Rob Mullins, the AD at Oregon. Uh, I wrote about this earlier this week. You know, he's the chairman of the football selection committee this coming fall. And I said to him, What's better for the Pac-12 right now, eight or nine? And he said, right now, nine. Now, maybe, uh, maybe we'll learn more down the road, and, and I'll change my opinion. But right now, I would say Pac-12 should be playing nine conference games. And part of the reason is what the damage that going to eight can do at the campus level, not, not just – it's not just about playoff benefits. It's also about – you know, potential damage and complications on, on the campus level going to eight games and, and losing money. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's expensive to play some of those games, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you get a, you get a you, whoever you want to say, you know, you want to bring Wyoming in, you're playing, you're paying a pretty penny. You want to even bring Sac State in, you're going to be paying a pretty penny and that price is going to go up. If, if, if all of a sudden every Pac-12 school is looking for an FCS, those FCS prices are going to go way up real quick. So there's a lot of issues with going to eight and that doesn't even include whether ESPN and Fox would, would be happy about it. And they certainly are going to have some say because they're paying to broadcast, you know, USC against Arizona state in October. They're not paying to broadcast USC against Idaho state. So uh, I don't see them ever going down to, to uh to eight and and part of the reason also you know and and ryan and i have talked about this is that would because of the way the schedules broke uh breaks down the four pacific northwest schools would have even less access to southern california and i can't imagine that they would go go for that john one of the things um i i I would love to see the Pac-12 go to eight and everyone go to eight, but I, I get there's reasons, you know, you wouldn't want to do it, but I think there's some tweaks that could at least be made where you put maybe Stanford and Cal in the South, Utah and Colorado in the North. It fixes some of that Notre Dame scheduling problem. And then you're not playing USC and Stanford, the second game of the season every year, which just seems silly when you, you know, you wouldn't ask Alabama and LSU or Michigan, Ohio state to play week two, um, you know, for the two winners of the North and the South to have to play each other's second game of the season just seems asinine to me. But could you think that could work if they realigned it a little bit that maybe it's not all the way going to an eight game schedule, but you're fixing some of the problems that come up with scheduling with Stanford and USC not being in the same and, you know, and UCLA and Cal all not being in the same division. I, I think they, uh, I think they do need to work on tweaks to the schedule, but Switching the division alignment, the four Northwest schools would block that change 
like they were protecting their firstborn. There is no <laughs> way the Washington and Oregon schools would be willing to be in a different division from all four Californias. No, I just cannot imagine that they would that they would do that. I mean, they would that would be like getting cast off to the hinterlands. So I don't think division realignment is is the answer, but they certainly need to be creative with the scheduling. Uh, they fixed that gross miscalculation with the Saturday, Friday road game situation. Um, the USC, you know, the USC Stanford deal is as long as those teams want to keep playing Notre Dame, I don't know that there's an easy way out of that week two uh, situation. And I also think that the conference, you know, I don't know that it necessarily should be USC or Stanford, but I don't have a problem with the conference having a big game or two conference game early in the season. I kind of, I kind of like that. It's a little different and you know, if it's placed right, it can really be a, a premium exposure uh, opportunity. I happen to think that they should play on – they should have a conference game on Labor Day Sunday. In fact, I think they should have a doubleheader on Labor Day. There is nothing going on on Labor Day Sunday. It is a giant blank canvas. And if the Pac-12 played a doubleheader that day, it would be more exposure than it can get any other time during the season. Uh, I think they should consider playing on uh, a game on the Wednesday, bef- the day before Thanksgiving, is uh, another opportunity to uh, to play. It would have to be, you know, the logistics would have to be hit just right. But that's a great uh, potential window too. They just they need to be creative uh, for sure with the scheduling. But more than being creative, they need to just make sure they don't put their teams in uh, competitive disadvantages, which is what happened this past fall. All the teams that could have been contending for the playoff were at competitive disadvantages at least once and in some some cases twice during the season, something that no other conference does, and yet the Pac-12 let it happen. And they scheduled themselves out of the playoff, really, in my opinion, at least out of playoff contention. And again, somebody's got to be looking out for that. And I, I think that they need to have more oversight of the football product uh, at the conference level. They need to have people whose only job is to figure out things that can better Pac-12 football because it is so much more important than everything else. And they, do, they haven't really treated it with, uh, I mean, a lot of things they do, it makes you wonder, do they care more about football than they do about tennis or softball maybe they don't maybe they care about everything the same uh and that's probably not a smart a smart way to go because (laughs) everything else is tied to football so we'll see i agree with you in general about the schedule but i don't know that division realignment is is the way to go uh one one group of organizations that is treating uh the pac-12 right is uh all these apparel companies um Washington yeah. signed this huge Adidas deal. Uh, UCLA obviously signed its huge deal with Under Armour last year. Cal, um, you know, their deal is not as big number-wise, but for Cal, um, I think that's their biggest by a wide margin ever. Um, do you think this is just the Pac-12 kind of uh, 
some of these big deals coming up at just the right time? Or do you think this reflects kind of the overall assessment of these companies wanting to get a West Coast footprint or whatever it is? Well, I think it's a bunch of things, and timing is for sure a big part of it. It also helps that Nike and Adidas are, you know, are based in in Oregon, right? I mean, they're and certainly right. that I think that gives the the Northwest and West Coast markets a little bit more importance than if those companies were based in in New York, for for instance, uh, or Baltimore. Now, uh, it's UCLA hit it just right with Under Armour, right? They were expanding. They wanted to be in LA. Nike and Adidas were also bidding. Under Armour was, you know, soaring at that point. UCLA did a great job. They hit it just right. If UCLA's rights were coming to market now, I don't know that they'd get what they did because Under Armour's in the tank. So you're not going to have three bidders. You're only going to have two. And, and that changes the calculation, right? So for them, it was timing. Uh, was a big part of it for sure. For Washington, same thing. Adidas is flush with cash. They want to carve out their own niche in the Pacific Northwest. Washington is, the football product is going great. It's an affluent alumni base in a growing market. It was a perfect move for Adidas. And Nike kind of was boxed in a little bit because they didn't, they basically told the Huskies, we're not paying more, we're not paying you more than we're paying Oregon. So Washington, Nike was somewhat limited in what they could do. And that, that further opened the door there for Adidas for the Huskies. It also helps that everybody else is kind of tied up. At least the public schools are all tied up with their apparel rights, I think until about 2025. So if he, if Adidas was going to get in anywhere, it was going to have to be with Washington this spring. Now, I don't know. You guys may have a better idea than I do about USC situation. But when I look at the, the Pac-12 apparel uh, landscape, I think, man, USC is uh, missing out on a whole lot of cash. If, if Washington and UCLA are getting what they're getting, you know, 10 million or more per year. I mean, SC needs to be above, above them because their brand is stronger than both those, those schools because of football's importance. Uh, and yet my understanding is USC is only getting, you know, four five, six million from Nike. I think that's very undervalued, but I don't know when USC's uh, apparel rights come up for bid. Yeah, my understanding was about the same number. Um, I don't know exactly, but somewhere in that range. And then I, I still think it's three or four years away. So I think wow. USC is going to be leaving some money on the table for sure. Yeah, and they've also got that weird deal, that sub-licensing agreement with, with Jerry Jones's company, yeah. which I don't really understand. Uh, and I don't know how much that is, you know, what, what that's doing for them financially. But... I mean, if if UCLA is getting eighteen point six million a year from from Under Armour, then USC should be getting eighteen point seven from somebody <laughs> because it is bottom. I mean, that's just the way it is. The bottom line is football is the most important uh, component to that whole process. Football and marketplace and USC, the the power of their football brand nationally, uh, would seem to justify them commanding 
the highest the highest bid if 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 everybody went if everybody got around the negotiating table USC would command the highest the highest bid. Um, we Dave, did you want to? Should we try to touch on the spring games? There have been five spring games since we last did a show. Do you want to get some thoughts from John on that, or what do you think? I mean, you know my thoughts on spring games, but yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> John, you might will. Uh, I I watched them all. Like I'm I'm terrible. Did you watch them all, Dave, or no? No, no, no way. You did not, of course. <laughs> John, did you end up watching any of them, or? Well, no, because I had major. I was not. In, I couldn't tape them because I had major Uverse problems for two weeks. Oh. So and then I and I was out with my I was out doing with my kids, so I couldn't watch them live and I couldn't tape them. But I actually got a hold of of the uh, the video feeds, and am in the process of going through. I have watched SC and I have watched um, Arizona State, okay. so uh, I've still got a, a few more to go. And then I got my UVerse restored, so I will be taping all the games on Saturday um, and and watching them. But I'm happy to talk spring football. Uh, which is the next best thing to fall football. <laughs> cool. Well, I, I took some notes. Like I, my mother-in-law's in town and uh, she's sitting there on the couch, like doing her stuff. And I'm watching these spring games. I feel terrible. I'm like, I kind of have to do this. Um, I guess I didn't really have to, but we'll, I'll touch on a few notes that I saw from each team and then kind of get your guys' thoughts on them too. We'll just go one by one you know, order. You're, you're checking out Tyler Vaughn's talking about checking out Tyler Vaughn's <laughs> plant foot yeah. with your mother-in-law <laughs> in the living room. He's added a lot to his base. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of physical changes. It's really good. Yeah, she got a she got, we watched a, a lot of Kevin Sumlin this morning, so I'm sure she's uh, Oh my really god, Marvell Tell broke the wrong way. You know? <laughs> uh. All right. Well, we'll start off with the this was the Friday one. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> And as you know, Herm had uh, they had their spring showcase. Uh, so they had black offenses, white defenses, gold helmets, gold pants, super windy. And they were at the Sun Devil Soccer Stadium because um, they're working on Sun Devil Stadium. But it seemed like a really good atmosphere. It was full up. They mic'd up Herm. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. He was signing autographs, kissing babies and all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, yep. doing all that stuff. They did some cool drills. Like there was these obstacle course drills that defenders were going through, like bags and jumping over like uh you'd you know do a tackle fumble recovery and then they jump over a huge pile of bags um i thought that was kind of neat he calls his water breaks theory theory time that's that's somewhat interesting i guess um they're huddling up a little bit more now uh, they did a v drill which is kind of cool like an oklahoma drill and herm was at the end of the v where everyone like was trying to get to and score uh touchdowns um, Ray Anderson talked a bit about some of the upgrades they were doing, the facilities. They're doing hockey. I didn't no idea that Arizona State has hockey, but uh, apparently they do. And they, they're, they've done Sun Devil Stadium in phases, so I guess this is like doing phase three right now. They should be able to play in 2018 with no uh, downtime. Um, but, yeah, I thought the, the interesting part there, uh, the game, I mean, it was kind of like, I don't know, it wasn't all that much. Uh, they had let some students call plays. I thought that was kind of interesting. They yes, kind of got them yeah. involved. Um, you that know. must be part must be part of the new leadership model. <laughs> <laughs> what this dude? Um, that was looking like you know, was yeah, I watched, for a while. <laughs> what yeah. I saw was that Blake Barnett is played like he was on a airplane between Tuscaloosa and Tempe. <laughs> uh, he did not look. 
he did not look real locked into me. And no. you know, it's one, it's, it's basically a practice, but he did not look at all locked into me. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I had kind of expected that he would be competing stronger for the job last year and this year. Um, clearly he's not going to be the starter this year. Uh, but it certainly looked to me like, you know, Dylan Sterling Cole is probably going to be the, the number two. And I didn't think Wilkins looked that great either. No. In general, they were kind of sloppy. You know, there was a lot of muff snaps and dropped passes. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how they do. But I, I was not overly impressed with uh, – and it's tough. You know, they got that new defense, and clearly the offense has no idea how to block it. But uh, <laughs> I, was, I was not overly impressed with the efficiency. Let's just say that. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't loved hearing that the practices are are what the the word that seems to be coming out is that they're more relaxed, which I don't know. That's I mean, unless you're like playing for Bobby Knight, I guess I I, I don't. That doesn't seem like it's necessarily a great thing for a football team. Like when I think about good football team practices, I'm thinking of up tempo, super high speed, high energy, you know, maybe music blaring the whole thing. So relaxed is generally not the the terminology I'm looking for. Yeah. Um I agree with you John though the quarterback we'll look... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, we'll see. The um what were you going to say about the quarterback? Yeah, so like Wilkins first pass was an interception. Um I Barnett came oh, in a terrible interception. Yeah, he had like a shaky first throw, then a fumble to bad snap. Uh, Dylan Sterling Cole looked, he got the most reps. He got better. I think Herm at the end said they tried to play a lot of young guys. They were building a foundation. So, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, there was a pick six off a tip ball. I think, uh, they got to find the running back replacements and I'm not sure, um, you know, Benjamin was out with an injury, so I'm not sure how much they got accomplished there. Um, uh, but I, I love that it's been open. Um, you know, we Dave and I both don't think this is going to work out very well with Herm Edwards there, but I like that it was opened up. You know, it's very different than what, um, you know, they're doing. Uh, you know, in you know in Tucson, um, Khalil Tate played a lot. It, we'll talk about that later. I played a lot, and they're unlike Manny Wilkins. So, um, you know, different approaches, but I I thought it was run pretty well. It seemed like it was okay, but yeah, the performance on the field for the offense just didn't seem all that great. Yeah, and I'm, they've got. You know they got their starting left tackle is is uh, right now finishing up at Stanford too. So yeah. that's going to be, you know, that's part of their deal. And they they got the you know the, the SC transfer, Roy Helmsley, right? Uh, yeah. And I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but he's got to have two years as a graduate transfer. He's going to have two years of eligibility, so that's a pretty good deal. But they, yeah, I mean they've got both lines of scrimmage for them. I think are are a little bit in flux and. You know, the thing with ASU is just September. I mean, you know, Michigan State, San Diego State on the road, and Washington on the road. And if it's if it starts poorly for Herm, you know, that's that's going to be a that's kind of a bad deal, right, yeah. for him because he needs. There's so much skepticism, I think, about him in general that that a bad first year would just kind of compound the situation a little bit. All right, um, so Saturday morning, these are all Pac-12 Network games. Uh, this was Utah Utes. And they, so they did red versus white. Uh, it looked like a real game atmosphere outside, like people were tailgating and stuff, even though it was early. Um, they did four 10-minute quarters, and they had a running clock in the second half. Uh, no kickoffs or anything, and a bunch of the starters, or at least some of them, 
uh, were held out. Um, Whittingham, he loved every practice from the spring. Uh, you got to see Jack Tuttle, the, the four-star quarterback, uh, incoming freshman, coming in. He ran the white team. And the first snap went right over his head, so it probably wasn't a good start. Um, but you look – if Armand Shine, if you remember him, he's been out the last couple of years. Yeah. I thought he, yeah, he looked pretty good. Um, Huntley uh, threw a couple picks in the first quarter. Um, Tuttle ended up getting a bad interception, too. Uh, some overthrows. I thought he looked better early, um, but you know, and he, so his one of his interceptions set up one of the uh, uh, later on Huntley a, t- a TD pass. Um, so he had a couple picks. It just seemed like it was a little bit looser. Some things they had to to clean up, but it was the probably the most exciting spring game where uh, their you know, All American kicker was it the Lou Graza Award kicker? He had a fifty seven yard field goal to win it at the end. So um, it was pretty, there was some excitement there for a spring game. So I, th- I thought it was pretty well run. Well, and you know, the thing is they should be, th- their spring game should be close to, if not the best, uh, most efficient because they've got head coach, offensive coordinator, starting quarterback all back yeah. and all, all out there for the spring. Right. And, uh, ASU's new uh, head coach and Arizona's new head coach and and new OC and um, last who else was last week Stanford Stanford didn't you know they didn't have their quarterback and they got a new uh, new offensive coordinator and SC uh, you tell me about the quarterback you know and I mean they didn't really even have a script right that was like barely even a practice yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, Utah should be maybe a little bit more advanced, at least from an offensive execution standpoint, because of the continuity. Yeah, and um, I want to say this is the first year in like 12 years that Utah's had the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back years. Yes. I think it's the first and eight. (laughs) (laughs) If not eight, then seven. But yeah, no, you're right. Uh, You're right. And that's I think that's going to be a big deal for them. And, And I could see Utah, you know, challenging for the for the south title i mean to me uh i don't know who's gonna play quarterback for sc i just know that that quarterback is not gonna if they just don't screw up the trojans should be pretty good if they do screw up and there's an opening i you know you would think utah and arizona would both have decent decent shot to to compete because of what they got coming back yeah, I love that. You know, they had Gary Anderson out there. He was added as their tenth coach. I mean, that adds a lot. They need to replace a bunch on the defensive line, but I think it's gonna. They're gonna have an elite secondary. Yep. So, um, you know, there's and they didn't have a lot of yeah, sacks last year. Yeah, they got good up you know? front. Yeah. So, I but this team looked good. Like watching the spring game, and you don't want to put too much into it. I felt like you, John. Like this is definitely a team that could win the South. Yeah, they need to make sure, too, that you know, last year they got away from their running game a little bit. I think Troy Taylor, they seem to get a little pass happy. Uh, they need to use the pass to complement that running game. Certainly having Shine back, you get Shine and Zach Moss, and you, you know, you've got two high-end tailbacks you can rotate. Um, but they, they got to make sure that they run the ball. And they got a veteran offensive line this year, which they didn't have last year. So... They should, they should be good. They got to keep, you know, keep uh, Huntley upright and not, not run him as much. He's a skinny guy. Uh, and I'm sure they want to redshirt Tuttle if they can. So we'll see, but, but they, you know, 
they could be uh, Utah and Arizona could be the two sleepers in the South. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huntley talked about after the game wanting to put some weight on too. So I think he knows that he's, he's gotta be durable. Um, all right. The yep. next, the next one, USC Trojans. You mentioned that I, I was there in person. And then I watched the PAC 12, uh, network feed. I actually had to go back and retape it because they didn't do the whole thing on PAC 12 network. They did it on PAC 12 LA and I'd only taped the PAC 12 network or whatever, but so more confusing stuff. But, um, it was, yeah, like John said, it was basically just not even a full practice. I mean, it lasted about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, I thought they had enough bodies to do stuff, but with the Coliseum renovation, they did it on campus, on the track field, Cromwell Field. And I think it's hard to do like a full tackling there because there's jump pits and all this stuff around it. I think you could easily yeah. get hurt. So I would have liked to see them go to like El Camino College or even like StubHub or if they could have gotten into the new LA Football Club, which is the new soccer stadium right next to the Coliseum that's that I think they open in a week or so, but if they could have got in there, that would have been cool. It just wasn't that great. It was 40 plays of scrimmage. Uh, a lot of, uh, it was high. They, the percentage, the completion percentage for the quarterbacks, Matt Fink and Jack Sears over the spring was very low, but in this, this spring game or showcase, it was higher. They just did a lot of like kind of rollouts and dumping it off to tight ends, like really high percentage stuff. I feel like they didn't want to go on TV and have a whole lot of balls hitting the ground. So it just seemed like yeah. it, it didn't, it wasn't, it just really wasn't that satisfying if you're a football fan. There was maybe a thousand people showed up to the track stadium. Yeah. Did any, was there anybody on the ground the whole time? I, there was no tackling at all, was there? No. Yeah. They didn't do, <laughs> there was no, it was, was like, not a, I don't think a single body hit the ground, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could argue that that's a smart way to play. Uh, but, at the same time, there's you just can't draw any conclusions from that. And I also had a hard time seeing, you know, what in terms of the coverage, how, you know, how close was the coverage for the for the two quarterbacks? You know, were they just completing passes, or were they actually putting the ball in the right windows? Depending on the routes, it was it's kind of hard to tell. But uh, that competition will heat up August first. Yeah. Uh, we did we did get to learn that um, JT Daniels will be on campus on June 8th. So we weren't sure because he's graduating a year early if he wasn't going to be able to show up until like basically when fall camp starts. But the fact that he'll be able to take summer classes at USC and and go through the summer workouts, the conditioning and the player run practices, I think that gives him a leg up. If you I, I, he he moved up the charts without even being there, only being there in his backpack because neither quarterback did all that much, in my opinion. It's going to be well, fun. Who's going to be? I mean, they got to figure out how the reps are going to be divided that first day of training camp, right? So, who's who, who, between Sears and Fink? Who gets more snaps? I would think Fink at this point. He's, I mean, he's been ahead, um, but not like vastly ahead. But I think he just kind of started there, and both players played about the same. Some bad, some good, and I know, I know, Dave has some strong opinions on both those guys. Um. <laughs> Matt Matt Fink. Um, my my one memory of him watching him in person is on a windy day, like not even like a particularly windy day, just kind of a breezy day um, in high school, where his it, it it looked like his ball was actually when it would hit a strong wind would actually go backwards. <laughs> um, so I, I'm interested to see how that looks. Um, 
And then JT Daniels, obviously a high school senior, uh, who's not actually a high school senior. He's a high school junior who's going to graduate and then start for USC this year. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it turns out. Yeah. It's Wilson. interesting just with the two LA schools following such parallel tracks with a quarterback situation for, for two years now, right? Oh Last yeah. Last year they were so similar and this coming year, they're going to be so similar, you know, yeah. uh, with very likely the potential, the starting quarterback wouldn't have been on the roster the year before. Yeah. All right. It'd be very uh, interesting. Yeah. All right. Next one. Uh, we have Stanford Cardinal. They both have a map. Hey, John, don't, don't speak over the, the, the drops. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just pointing out that they both in, in useless knowledge, they both have a match competing for the oh. for the starting quarterback job, right? Yeah, that's a that's a solid parallel as yep. well. That's right. <laughs> yep. You can't get that anywhere else. No. <laughs> no, that's the kind of insight that we're paying you the big bucks for. <laughs> um, all right. So Stanford. This was this is the most interesting one. Cardinal versus White. Offense versus defense. They did it in the soccer stadium. If you ever played, uh, you know, in the in the backyard, you know, football and stuff, and and you have the all time QB, that's what they had in Jack Richardson because they only had one healthy quarterback. So if they didn't have him, they, you know, David Shaw said they would have basically just done some position drills and, and ran wind sprints. So at least they had one. So he had to play both sides. Um, he's the, you know, his both of his parents were accolade, you know, uh, the highly. Um, accomplished Stanford athletes. So uh, I think it was pretty cool for him to be out there. You didn't see Bryce Love. A lot of the linebackers was out. were out. Um, got to see Scar- uh, Cameron Scarlett. He looks really good. Uh, he had a touchdown on the opening drive. Um, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, he, I think David Shaw said uh, they'd rather lengthen the practice than shorten them with, with the lack of depth because – they couldn't really split periods, so basically they had to kind of run everybody at once. So they actually made practices longer, which seems a little counterintuitive, but that that was his logic. Um, KJ Costello said he was close to throwing again. I don't know what the injury is. I don't think they talk about that kind of stuff. The broadcast was weird. They were like talking about the president of Estonia and like do all this weird stuff. All these Stanford connections. Really, that's that sounds pretty Stanford. It's very very. It was a very Stanfordy broadcast. Uh, Trevita Pritchard is their uh, offensive coordinator now, so that's kind of interesting that he's back. Um, and there was actually a little chippiness at the end. There was a late interception, returned down the sidelines, and I think one of the offensive linemen just like hit the guy out of bounds, and and they just called the game at that point. They said, "Okay, it's over." Um, so with with one quarterback, I don't know what you can learn from, and a lot of guys out, but I thought that was kind of interesting. You had one dude just had to run everything. Uh, Jake Jack Richardson. Were you? Did yeah? Were you able to follow the defensive? how the defense scores points. It's pretty complicated. It was complicated. Yeah. They did that. Yeah. Them and certain number for like a, a three and out is a certain number. Yeah. Forcing a punt is a certain number. They've done that for a few years. They, for some reason they like the offense defense deal. You know, Richardson is, uh, you know, he's a walk on. He's one of those, the, the quote unquote recruited walk ons. Uh, and he got awarded a scholarship at the end of spring ball, which is, which is kind of cool. They were, they have three quarterbacks on the roster and the two scholarship guys are both hurt. And he, uh, he ran every play for the entire spring. I mean, you can be pretty good after a while. You would think, you know, you run every play. Well, I think that, yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, 
manage the quarterback depth come August because, I mean, Costello, who I think has got a hip injury, you know, he's going to start. But the backup is either going to be Richardson, who just went through the entire spring for you, or uh, this, you know, highly touted Davis Mills, uh, who will be in his entering his redshirt freshman season, coming off of, you know, multiple knee injuries. Do you, I mean, you know, Richardson going into August might be more capable of running running their offense than than the scholarship kid, Mills. So we'll have to kind of see how that plays out. With uh, with KJ Costello, have you heard anything? Because I know David Shaw has in the past not necessarily. I, I don't know. If, I remember there was one year where Kevin Hogan, I think, had some nagging injury in the off season, and it actually it wasn't expected to keep him out of the first game of the season, and then he was. He did end up limited uh, through the first couple of games, and I don't know how forthcoming David Shaw is typically with injuries. But is there any inkling that KJ Costello's injury is? more severe that could keep him out for fall camp or, or into the season? No, I don't think so. I, I, I would be very surprised if he's not ready by August 1st. Got it. Very surprised. Now Mills, I don't know about Mills, uh, but, but Costello will be, he should be good to go. I'd be shocked if he's not now. And love is, I don't know that their starting core, their starting tailback has participated in the spring game in about five years. Um, <laughs> I think Love can do a little bit of running, um, but there's no there was no reason for him to play. So uh, you take out your Heisman runner-up tailback and your starting quarterback, and uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it was an interesting game for them. All right, we got one last spring game. You can't get this anywhere else, guys. Come on, Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> Similar to Stanford, they did the same thing where the, it's like the red were on offense, the blue were on defense, So, and the blue was scoring a lot more points. The defense were scoring a lot of points. To the point, Dave's buddy, uh, Noel Lazzoni, uh wait, wait, what am I, am I getting his name? Yes, it, you're getting it wrong. Yes, it is uh, Noel Mazzoni, right? That's, that's, yes, now you've, now you've nailed it. Good. He was saying, I want to get a check on the score stuff because they were, uh, I think with halftime, it was 42 to 16 at half. The defense was winning. So he w- didn't really like that uh, scoring there. But um, it was sort of strange. They did they did some special teams, unlike Stanford. They just, you know, played out. Uh, they only could sit on one side of the stadium because they're doing renovations as well. They have this huge indoor facility. They got a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, this was like the longest spring game ever. Like I watched it this morning, so it's like fresh in my mind. Like it went. The whole thing was over two, like two, two hours and fifteen minutes or so. The first half, like they didn't even have a lot of commercial breaks. They would just keep calling penalties, stopping the clock. That first half, Khalil Tate, I think, had like ten series in the first half alone. I'm like, what is your starting quarterback doing? And he didn't score any touchdowns, so that's a little strange. Now he would have scored a couple of times because it's like you know he's a runner, obviously. And uh, even though they say they want to make him a you know a quarterback who's an athlete, not an athlete playing quarterback or whatever, but he's there were a couple of times I think he would have scored touchdowns on runs, but he was touched and it didn't count. But they let him come out. So after this huge, long first half, which is like, oh, my God, this is taking forever uh, my, with my mother-in-law sitting there. They come out after halftime. They're going to do a running clock. But they let Khalil Tate come out and take the first snap of the uh, second half, too, which seems really strange. But he threw a long pass, and then he threw a touchdown pass. So I think they just wanted to let him score a touchdown. And then they let the offense score a lot more. 
uh, in the second half. So, but it was it was a really painfully long spring game, and you got to see, you know, a lot of Tate. You got to see um, Rhett Rodriguez, who's uh, you know Rich's son, who's still around there. Um, didn't look that good at first, but then I think he started playing better. Uh, Kahari Lane, I thought looked pretty good. He had a really nice TD pass to start. Then he threw a couple picks later. So you got to see a lot of the other quarterbacks too. Um, and, and JJ Taylor too. He, he looked really good. Uh, he's the five, six, uh, running back, but really, really a painfully long spring game with, but you got to see a lot of Khalil Tate. So that was kind of cool. Well, and that, you know, that doesn't often happen that you get to see the starting quarterback that, that much. I'm sure they want to get him as, as many reps as possible in, in their new, you know, their new offense. Yeah, Dave, what do you think about that? I mean, I literally, I got to count the series, but I thought he had like 10. Like he just kept coming out there. He would every other series and they just, and this, it lasted forever, like a real game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably what John said, I think they probably want to get him a look in Mazzoni's offense, which it is a different deal um, from Rich Rods. I mean, it's still the way it worked out at UCLA, at least, was it still a run first scheme? but not to the extent that Rich Rods is. Um, and so it's just a whole different deal. You're not doing as much zone read. So I, I can imagine they want to just get a, a little bit more, just something similar to game reps. But I mean, it doesn't sound like these were like ideal game reps by any stretch of the imagination. I, you know, my thesis on spring games is that they're mostly useless. And you know, the, the, the big part is the practices going into it, just kind of working guys out. And then this spring game thing, you know, UCLA in the past would just try to do it as like basically a 15th practice because they didn't really see them much use in turning it into a game. And there seem to be opposing theories on that, which is why you see such different methods for it. But I don't know that, you know, running it for 10 series and like these pseudo game atmosphere things is really doing a whole lot for them anyway. Yeah. But all right. Well, that's our kind of spring game uh, wrap up. Joe, I'm, I want to get your thoughts and you too, Dave, if you end up watching it, the Arizona one, what, what you think? Cause it just seemed like maybe it was just the situation I was in, but it just seemed painfully long. Um, speaking of, were, painful, there, were there replay reviews? No, well, there, were, <laughs> there were full on stoppages with all the, you know, penalties and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think, uh, Kevin Sumlin went in and said, I think he told the, the officials, Hey, make sure you're calling everything. And they definitely, they definitely did. So the running clock in the second half helped, but um, so let me clarify something, Ryan. You're asking us to watch something <laughs> that you have already told us you thought was painfully long, yes. and you're the guy who was most excited to watch spring games among us in the first place. No, I really wasn't excited, but I thought it would be good for us to talk about on the show, you know, because unlike, because we cover the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, and unlike yeah, yeah, John, we don't really know what we're talking about, so we, uh, you know. You, I can know, watch you need to show a large swath of knowledge. I think it's a smart move for sure. <laughs> um, well, speaking of painfully long, I think we've kept you on a really long time, John. Um, Dave was texting me like, hey, we got to let him go, um, <laughs> which I totally agree. But one thing, both of you. We're not going to preview the games this week? <laughs> no, we're not going to preview. Oh, my God. Offense, I wanted, I wanted, defense, I special know. I want to know what Dave thinks. I want to know what Dave thinks about the UCLA quarterback situation and whether it is a foregone conclusion that Wilton Spate's going to be the starter. So I don't think so, actually. I, I So I like Wilton Spate. I actually think he got kind of a bad rap at Michigan. He was, he was pretty good, actually, um, that one year. I mean, at least above average. I just – I'm interested in the fit because this offense – it doesn't require the blur mobility 
like what he was doing at Oregon, where you've got to be a sprinter, but you got to have some pretty good feet. You've got to have good mobility on the rollout. And Wilton Spate, he's 6'6", 240. He's not like a statue at that size. He can move a little bit, but um, Monster, uh, Devon Monster hasn't had a, a spring where he's, you know, lighting it up, but he's a little bit more mobile. He has some game experience a little bit more recently than Spate as well. I think it'll be Monster, um, but I think Spate will give him a good run in fall camp. Certainly a maybe a better competition than, than has been in spring, that's for sure. Do you think Chip definitely wants to redshirt Thompson Robinson? I think he would ideally love to do that in an ideal world. And I'm actually, what I'm really intrigued by is the guys UCLA has. So, I mean, if you look at it now, they've, they've, um, they've tried to get a transfer from KJ Carter Samuels, who is more of the pro style kind of bigger uh, quarterback. Then they go after Wilton Spate. And then one of the guys, the, one of the only, I think the only quarterback they've offered now in the 2019 class is a 6'6", 220 pound pro style guy from Texas. I don't know if Dorian Thompson Robinson is like his ideal fit for a quarterback. I think they were in position where, you know, at that point in the game, they're taking a quarterback, but I don't know if he's, I I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is a tremendous talent and he's probably going to start at some point in his UCLA career, but I don't know if they're just waiting around for that guy. I I think they have an idea of their ideal quarterback and it might not look like Dorian Thompson Robinson. It might be more of the taller, bigger pro style guys. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how this all plays out in fall camp when they are all on campus. I love it. Sounds too. like you're describing a Mike Price, Washington State, you know, farm boy gunslinger, not yeah. not uh, a Duran Thomas, you know, kind of, uh, or even Mariota in terms of mobility. Not not a guy like that. I'll be interested to see if Chip has kind of tweaked what he wants to do and and what the best kind of fit is at quarterback. Yeah, and it's it, it's the the best description so far is that it's kind of a meld. The offense uh, that 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 he's shown in spring ball, it's kind of a meld of that Eagles type scheme that he was running in the NFL with more of the college elements, a little bit more kind of triple optiony type things. Not necessarily the traditional triple option, but things where he has three options on a particular play um, and a little bit more zone read. But it is it's not the pure. Oregon offense by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, uh, so John, one thing before we let you go, and we again really appreciate you uh, spending all this time with us. Uh, you're so generous with your time. Um, some news that came out recently: uh, Pac-12 media days. Look, if your if your mother-in-law, if your mother-in-law can <laughs> sit there and watching all those games with you, this is the least I can do. <laughs> I'm going to tell her that. Thanks, she'll appreciate it. Um, you- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, okay, so Pac-12 Media Days is now becoming Pac-12 Media Day again. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, and maybe we could all give our kind of early picks for who's going to win the North and the South, if you want. Well, my thought on that is that one day is cheaper than two days, and if you're looking to find places where you can maybe cut some costs at the conference office level, that's one place to do it. That would be my uh, my only thought on that, uh, you know, from a media standpoint, two days is, is better because there's just more time with each coach. But I would have to think that Hollywood and Highland is a lot cheaper for one day than it is for yeah. two. Do you, what do you think, Dave? Is that Was that kind of weird for you? or? No, I, I, 
I mean, it did make it feel like more of an event when there were two days. Yeah. Um, you know, you have the back-to-back days where you're going to wherever. They had it at Universal that one year and, you know, that sort of thing. But, I mean, it was fine when it was one day, too. Um, and I don't – I think that was something they probably did to match the SEC because they do I, – I think they do, like, nine or ten days in a row now. <laughs> it's like a, you have to go on a camping trip to do it. Um, but – yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I don't, I, I those things, I mean, they're kind of, I, I think they're a little bit outdated too in, in their efficacy as well, um, with just the distribution that's available through other means that stripping it to one day, yeah, you're not in line with the SEC anymore, but you're not in line with the SEC with everything else either. So may as well just drop it back to one. And then do you guys have picks, early picks for who you think will win the North and South? Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Utah breaks through, finally wins the South. Um, I think continuity on the offense, like we were talking about, I think that'll play a big role. I don't, I just don't see anybody in the South who looks super dominant. I think USC has obviously the, the quarterback question marks. I think Arizona with the changeover of staff, that could be, you know, that, that could be, I, I think they have, you know, some good depth built up. I don't think their defense is going to be quite that good. I think it'll be better than it was last year. So I don't see them doing it. Um, Utah makes the most sense for me there. I think ASU, if if Herm Edwards was kind of taken out of the equation and you just insert average coach, I think they have um, the makeup of the roster to do it. But I just don't I, – I have so many reservations about Herm that it's hard for me to pick them. So I'll go Utah in the south and then in the north um, – I mean, flip a coin between Washington and Stanford for me. I think with just knowing that they didn't have their quarterbacks for spring and just being a little, just having a little trepidation about that, I guess I'll go Washington. You want me to go, John, or you want to go? You go. I'm still thinking. Okay. So uh, I kind of agree with Dave. I mean, I I like either USC, Utah, or Arizona. I love the way Arizona's – Defense played in the spring game. I got to watch that this morning. I think they're gonna. It's gonna be really good. They're they're young, deep. Uh, I think they got a young guy, a lot of young guys that played last year. But I kind of think this is gonna be Utah's year. They really did impress me, and uh, I think Tyler Huntley can do do a lot. And I think if he's a little bit better of a quarterback and he can stay durable, I like their chances. Their schedule's pretty tough though. So, uh, but I, I think Utah is gonna break through. And last year, I think was the only one at the at Pac-12 Media Day to pick Stanford to win the, the North, but I think it's going to be Washington this year. Uh, I don't think they're going to necessarily be a playoff team, but I think Washington uh, is going to win the North. Now, barring injury, now what if there's an injury? Say like a Jake Browning gets injured? Yeah, sure, Washington can now make the playoff, but otherwise, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with Washington and Utah to, as well. All right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, Joe. Well, I got I, – I mean, I'm kind of on the record. I got Washington, and a big part of that is because the Stanford game is in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's been so decisive the last two years. It is nice that it's not on a Friday this time, um, but I think that that, you know, that, could, that one game could end up being the difference. And um, I, you know, I like Arizona's – you know, good combination of quarterback and defense, and I like Utah, but uh, I've, I've got SC, and and uh, I think that it, they just, as long as they don't stink at quarterback, God, they're loaded everywhere else. And big thing is, um, 
Utah plays Stanford and Oregon, and SC misses Washington and Oregon, and I think that that is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. All makes sense. Um, the rotation, that's the thing about the, you know, with the two divisions, you have to account for the schedule rotation when you, when you try to project. And it also, the schedule rotation can also actually affect what happens during the course of the season. You know, it's not, it is not an, um, something that, that can necessarily be dismissed because that can be a huge difference if you're SC and you're playing Washington state instead of Washington and you're playing Oregon state instead of Oregon. I mean, there could be, you know, a combined total of 10 games difference in the standings between those teams. All right. Well, Dave, I think we should probably let John go. Um, Yeah. We've held him hostage long enough. (laughs) Uh, John Wilner, the great John Wilner, the godfather of PAC 12 reporting from the San Jose Mercury news. Follow him on Twitter at Wilner hotline. If you are listening to this show, especially at the hour and 20 minute mark, and you are not a member of his newsletter, you don't get his newsletter. I don't, there's something wrong with you. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I love the newsletter. Um, we get ideas for this show from reading John's newsletter. So you definitely should read it. John, thank you so much for, for coming on. We always, it's always great. And you always do an amazing job. Hey, thanks very much for having me. And now I am going to go watch that Arizona scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, John. All right. Great stuff from our man, John. Uh, But we do have questions to go over, as we always do. Uh, First, I want to touch on a text message we received. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Here it is in its entirety. Testing. You guys suck. (laughs) Nice one. It was pithy and good. I thought it was excellent. Um, All right. uh, Moving on to some. He responded, I think. I think we, because I I responded to him and he responded back. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, Ryan said, thanks. Um, (laughs) And then he said, ha, 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 just kidding. I listened to every show. Thanks for all the work you put into it. See? So it it was good. Yeah, yeah. But I I thought the the testing, you guys suck, that sat there for like a week was was beautiful. (laughs) Um, All right. uh, So we got a couple of questions. First, getting them out of the way. Um, Donald Dopman um, says, uh, future podcast. After you're done with spring practice podcast, please go through the Pac-12 team by team. Do two teams per podcast, position group by position group. Which position groups are a bright spot? Which meet team standards? Which groups are areas of concern? What new corners stand out? Who will be the stars of your team? Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we've done that to an extent um, with our spring recaps. And I think we're going to be starved for content over the next three months. So we'll probably do that more in the vein of previews of fall camp and into the season than necessarily more spring coverage, because we've kind of we've kind of done spring ball. And it's kind of it's kind of done for me. Um, so we still got some more spring so, games, man. We got, yeah, some- yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely touch on some stuff, but I think doing a team by team thing, I think we'll maybe start that. Uh, I would guess sometime in June in advance of the season would probably make the most sense for that. Yeah. Um, and then Shane asks about our fantasy draft, which we are planning to do for next show, uh, for next week. So, because, um, spring games will be, I think most of them will have, I think all of them will be done by then. So we'll recap those and then recap our fantasy draft, and that'll be enough to cobble together one show before we move on to the true doldrums of May. Um, so we'll read your email then, Shane. It's a really good one. Um, and then Bernie. You want me to read Bernie's? Uh, well, it's kind of a UCLA thing. You want me to read it to you? Yeah, please. Okay. I like being read, too. Sure. Uh, question for the podcast. When Chip Kelly was hired by UCLA, I expected there would be some gains and losses 
due to the coaching transition. But so far, there have been far more losses than gains. We have seen coaches, Angus, leave uh, that were offered a position, and now players that were in a position to help the team request a transfer. Couple this with Kelly's standoffish wait-and-see approach to recruiting. I am worried for the program. So my question to you, Dave and Ryan, is, should I be concerned, and what is your viewpoint of Kelly since his hire? Everyone says, trust the process, but when it comes to trusting UCLA football, I have been far too disappointed to fall for that again. Thanks, guys. That's from Bernie. And, and you know, Bernie is uh, his his viewpoint here is actually indicative of a huge portion of the fan base. I think that's uh, a little like I think Bernie's put it right. A little concerned, you know, just a little bit worried. Uh, obviously, acknowledges the Chip Kelly track record, but this is and what I would say, Bernie, is if this was Jim Mora doing all of this stuff, entering his sixth year, would that be what this was? Yeah, then I would be very concerned. I would think this was a very, very worrying sign. And as it is with Chip Kelly. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I think the recruiting stuff is probably the most interesting cause that's the most different thing I can remember with UCLA in a while. Uh, UCLA's only offered 37 total guys in the 2019 class right now. That is a minuscule total. Wow. Um, not a and, lot. They, and by all accounts, not necessarily recruiting those 37 guys, the super hard way that you kind of have to do in April these days or that we think you kind of have to do in April. Now the proof is going to be in the pudding, but I'm really interested to see what happens once spring ball is over, if they really, really pick it up in terms of their recruiting, or if this is just kind of the strategy, they want to make UCLA's offers really, really, really prestigious. And they want it to make it, you know, feel more like a prestigious process where, you know, UCLA is not bending over backward to send you, you know, graphics and GIFs and all this kind of stuff all the time, you know? Um, and I'm really interested to see what, how that turns out. My my instinct is that they're going to have to adjust that. That they might be um, uh, they might have a misapprehension of what UCLA is and how strong the brand is. Um, I think Chip Kelly is a big fan of UCLA. That's what kind of came out throughout his uh, hiring process. And I think he might have not a slightly higher opinion of what it is, but maybe a slightly higher opinion of how it is perceived in recruiting circles, um, particularly the academics, um, UCLA as an institution. And maybe part of that is building the brand through making it a more coveted, prestigious offer. But right now, I would say that's an interesting piece that's maybe giving me the most pause at this moment. And it's not a lot because um, I think you have to have some faith in Chip Kelly as a coach on the field. Um, and certainly at Oregon, he wasn't recruiting at like a top 10 level um, and obviously produced four straight BCS um, bowl teams. So uh, he, he can certainly get it done with a majority three star roster. Uh, but you would think at UCLA access to a slightly uh, higher level of talent than Oregon during those years um, that he'd be able to do it with a little bit different level of an athlete. So all of that is really interesting. The transfer stuff, I wouldn't worry about at all. Um, that stuff happens when there's a new coach. Um, guys just don't fit with the new culture, whatever it is. Um, I would look at that stuff unless it becomes the kind of exodus that happened with, say, Texas when Charlie Strong took over or something like that, and it hasn't been at all that level yet. Um, I wouldn't worry about any of that stuff. That's just the usual attrition when there's a new coach. You're going to see guys leave who just weren't necessarily a right fit for what um, the new coach wanted to do. Hey, Bernie, yeah, I agree with all that. And I think you you didn't hire Chip Kelly to be status quo. So there's going to be 
you're going to break a lot of eggs making this omelet. And, you know, it's not, I think if there weren't a lot of, if there weren't some transfers and there weren't some attrition like that, I think you'd be more worried. Um, Now, if it was astronomical levels of that, I mean, yeah, maybe you'd be concerned, but I don't think anything you've seen now should concern you. Don't worry. Uh, I'm not saying trust the process, but trust the process. Um, You feel like if you think he's the right guy, which, you know, I think he's a, a really good hire. You just got to let him do his thing. And judging within the first few months of him being on campus of, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I don't think the season's going to go all that well, to be honest, for UCLA. But that's not really what this is about. It's about taking this program and turning it around and what happens in 2019 and beyond. So, uh, yeah, even if they lose a bunch of games this year, I wouldn't worry too much because it, you know, it seems like he's got to go into the direction he wants it to go. You just have to kind of see it unfold and, and see how it plays out. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm about as far as I think everyone listening to this knows as far from a trust the process guy as 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 could be humanly possible. I, I I'm very skeptical of of coaches almost immediately after they're hired and all this kind of stuff. And you know, I you've got to give it you've got to give it some time, especially if it's an an entirely new way of recruiting. I think you have to give it time to see if it works um, because. Yeah, this is probably going to result. I mean, I I can't see a situation where it's not going to yield a slightly lower rated class um, compared to what UCLA has been able to get in the past. But if he is doing a better job of talent evaluation and um, fit evaluation and all this other stuff that is purported to be the case that, you know, they are making these offers very coveted because they are subjecting these guys to a really strenuous evaluation process, then we'll know in a couple of years, really, if all of these guys, you know, if, if the hit rate is a lot higher with this class than it has been with UCLA classes in the past, because I mean, I know this is the case at USC, but at UCLA as well, when UCLA has a really, really highly rated class, sometimes the hit rate is like less than like half of those guys turn out to be any kind of players. Um, you know, guys just, sometimes don't pan out when you're recruiting off of lists. Um, and that's just, you know, that's the name of the game. You know, sometimes that just doesn't work out. Um, you have to evaluate fit. And I think that's what UCLA is doing. It's just a question of whether they're doing it. I, I, basically, uh, the way I put it on the broadcast this week is I like the strategy. I'm a little, I have a little trepidation about the, uh, about the execution. I don't know if they necessarily know how sped up the timeline of recruiting has gotten. Um, so I'm interested to see how that turns out. All right. Um, I get you, oh, you, right. Went, you do the next one. I'll do the next one. So this is from our man, Hithliday. Um, he lists, he, he titles it transfusions because he first gives me advice on, uh, what sort of vein to use for a transfusion, <laughs> which actually I'm, I'm, I have no trepidation about getting a, a needle stuck in the outside of my arm. So he is right there. Cause he basically said you, you should pick the the vein that goes down the outside of your um outside of your upper arm but i don't um but i i have a weird thing where like getting somebody to stab something into my elbow just makes me very squeamish so good for hithliday giving me that um and then he uh he he advised you on uh, becoming a platelet donor so you should look into that and then he has actual questions so oh, okay. read these um on your episode i appreciated you taking seriously my thought experiment experiment about how much money it would be worth taking from Pac-12 athletic departments in exchange for direct TV access and preferential kickoff times. So many media members present this irresponsibly, I think, acting like there's a Santa Claus solution where an underperforming conference with zero market leverage and unreliable fans could simultaneously get more money, 
more control, and more distribution without any trade-offs, and then looking for a Grinch who stole that Christmas. Still, it stood out to me how breezily you axed about $5 million from each school to get these things, since that's about 10% of the revenue of lower-rung programs. I suspect if this were Angie Machado or Ryan Gorsi's podcast instead, we'd get some pretty different answers. That's not just money to keep the women's water polo team in swim caps. That's money to retain Alex Grinch, keep Sonny Dykes' eyes from straying, prevent the ASU AD from blowing up the staff, pay Arizona's mounting legal bills, etc., the simplest explanation for why the university CEOs tolerate the status quo, as obnoxious as it is to fans like us, is that they think it's the only way to stay competitive in football and preserve their non-revenue sports. Do you think it's time for an NCAA-mandated spending cap to get the arms race under control? Um, I just don't think that would have any teeth. I don't think you could do it if you wanted to. Um, yeah, it would require a full restructuring of the entire sport, yeah. I think, including paying players. Yeah, I think if they created, you know, a, a whatever, a 64 team super allegiance or whatever that was all basketball, all football, like outside the NCAA, like then I think you could have some kind of cap. I just don't think you could do a cap the way things are are now. And certainly the teams in the SEC would not go for it. The ACC, it just um, the way it's going. Yeah, you it, that would be, I think, in, in, impossible to do. Yeah, they would. Uh, it would need to be a much more cohesive overall league than it is. I mean, it's it's these separate conferences are so different still. Even with uh, the, uh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't call it a loose organization. Maybe I just did, but I wouldn't call it a super loose organization. But it's not like a tight NBA. It's not one of the professional leagues. Uh, the NCAA doesn't have that kind of. Uh, control and leverage and all that stuff. Um, so I think it would require a full restructuring, probably the FBS schools, uh, the power five schools splitting off from everybody else and forming like a really tight league. Um, and I just don't know that I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened sometime in the future, but I just don't know how close we are to that. Maybe with all this FBI stuff, see how far that goes. And if it ends up breaking the NCAA entirely, maybe we'll see something that's a, a stronger league, but um, until that happens, I just can't see an NCAA mandated spending cap. I could see conferences doing it, but you don't want to needlessly inhibit your your conference, or else you end up like the Ivy League. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. If once it is, I don't think it'll be NCAA mandated. It'll be whatever comes after the NCAA. Yeah. Um, real quick on his uh, blood thing. So he talked about doing platelets. Um, my understanding, like I have O positive blood, which is universal donor. So I believe they would rather have me give double red than platelets. Uh, but I've used that apparesis machine. It's basically the same kind of thing where they put it in and take it out. Um, but this is for platelets. They do. It's like a different sort of machine. But I think, Hithoday, that they would rather have the blood for me. That's what they've said before, but I could be wrong. You seem to know a lot more about it than I do, so. But he, he listens to our show while he's donating, so I think that's a good way to do it. That's great, yeah. Maybe um, I'll actually donate blood, and I'll ask to uh, get it jammed into my upper arm instead. <laughs> yeah, you should try that. I, don't, I didn't know you could do that. I've never seen that. Um, I didn't know that either. We have Sean. You want me to read this one? Yeah, please. Conference realignment with many, many explanation points. Uh, exclamation points. Did I say explanation points? I think I did. You did. It's, you did. It's it was strong. It was almost like it was almost like Noel Lazzoni. <laughs> I couldn't. I'm really just like mush mouth at this point. You like when you said that, and I didn't help you out at all. I, I just know. let you like look it up and figure it out live on air. I like, had it at the top of my page on my Google Doc, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I just yeah. Good old Noel Lazzoni. 
<laughs> Seriously, I feel like my mouth is like uh, under Novocaine or something. Like I'm going to get a filling or something. Uh, okay, so this is from Sean. Guys. It's all that blood you've lost. That's true. Um, man, it's, uh, I, I, it's funny. I just tweeted out or I put on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, Dave. Seven gallons. I'm a seven-gallon donor. So, I actually saw it on your Instagram, Ryan. Oh, do I follow your you? Personal, on your personal Instagram. I changed that you've it since found it. I did. Yeah. Do it. Do I follow you yet, or do you? You follow me? Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, you gave. I think you gave me the automatic follow. Oh, probably. Yeah, I would yeah. think so. But the, uh, yeah, I just started a personal Instagram. Like I hadn't had that before because you can do like cooler stuff. But uh, yeah, so I got an email that said seven gallon donor. Um, but not all at once. That was like over years, but, um, I've given seven gallons of my blood. That's kind of great. It's crazy. All right. From Sean, uh, guys loving the show from the EST. Where's that? Estonia? No, that is uh, Eastern time zone. I believe specifically Ohio. I was born in Ohio, Sean. Uh, my question that is was the second mention of Estonia in this podcast. <laughs> that Stanford, you have to watch the Stanford one. Cause when they were talking about all this stuff, like the president of Estonia is going to be coming back to I have to do no such thing. <laughs> he's no going to return to Stanford to be a professor again after he's done being the president of Estonia. Like all this weird stuff. Um, anyway, my question, if you could see the conference expanding, even after we've been through the whole thing already, just to provide some stability, I have it in the back of my mind that due to a smaller piece of the financial pie and Larry Scott's ineptitude, I wonder if the Big 12 is not sitting back and thinking to themselves that they could poach the Arizona schools and maybe even the mountain schools and not go under when the next round of TV deals comes their way. Is this the scenario that would push USC to finally go the independent route? And do you see this as a possibility and or a threat that the Pac-12 is considering? And if so, how could they stop it or ensure some stability? Love the pod. Thanks. That's from Sean. All right, let's just call John. Yeah, my okay. My um, my guess, real quick, is like that wouldn't like no that like all the ineptitude that you see going on in the conference makes it less likely that they would do some crazy move outside of the conference. So even if if the Big Twelve presented some amazing deal to the Arizona schools and the or the Mountain schools, uh, I mean Colorado was already there. I don't think that these schools would pull the trigger, even if it was some amazing deal. So that that's just my take. Yeah, I, I I don't see it, but I felt I would have felt much much more confident actually. Um, you know, I think when the last round of realignment was happening, Pac-12 was thought to be in, or Pac-10 at that time was thought to be in a really strong position. You know, definitely not in a position where the conference would ever break up. I I don't have any real concerns, but I'd be slightly my concern level would be slightly greater um, at this point than it was whatever that was five years ago, six years ago, um, if only because. It just, they are falling so far behind and all this other junk. And I mean, I don't think the Big 12 is in anywhere close to a stable position. So that probably helps the Pac-12. I don't think they're in a super great position. There's still a lot of predictions that that's going to, that's just a short-term solution because the inequity with with Texas makes it so hard for the other schools to want to stick. But it's just, you know, uh, Pac-12 needs to right its ship and, you know, that would, I think the Pac-12 would ride its ship a little bit if the Big 12 does break up and they can actually poach a few teams, um, especially Texas, the big fish. Um, but 
it's going to be really interesting the next five years to see if any of that stuff starts to shake out, um, to see if the Big 12 really does start to break up in any way, because I think that could save the Pac-12 and maybe put it back on equal footing with uh, the bigger conferences. Yeah, I think it's more likely that the Pac-12 would poach a couple schools, but um, I mean, if the implosion keeps happening um, and it keeps getting worse as the TV deal comes up, then yeah, maybe maybe something happens. But my guess would be you probably wouldn't have to worry about that. If anything, it would be like a USC and UCLA. But if and if those schools left, then yeah, maybe USC would uh, probably not. I still don't think USC would consider that. But at that point, who knows what could happen? Like USC and UCLA could like try to pair up and and do something, or the Pac-12 could try to bring in some Mountain West schools. I don't know what would happen in that case, but I mean, it would be there'd be some chaotic stuff going on for sure if that happened. It'd be crazy. Um, is that That's all? We, it. I think all we got. Um, I'm sure people should. Go, you got to go to the Pac, uh, Pac-12 podcast.com because Dave said he was going to put up those uh, charts and everything. So I'm sure it's, I haven't looked yet. I'm sure they're there. So just go check them out. Um, uh, <laughs> of the most predictable possible things ever. Me not putting those up when I said, uh, you know, what? I'm going to definitely get to it this week. It has to be among the most predictable possible results. I think when I said, these will be up sometime before December. I think that was probably <laughs> the fairest appraisal of my um, ability to get anything done. More that would be more accurate. Uh, I I honestly hadn't looked, and then I thought someone, I think we got an email or someone tweeted us like thanking I, whoever did. They, I think we got a thank. I think you. that was no, that was that was our man Andrew, and I think he was hinting to me oh. through that tweet. Hey, why don't you put those up, you asshole? <laughs> and for a moment, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go do that. And then, I don't know, something shiny caught my eye, and suddenly that was gone from my brain. This conversation I will forget about within the next seven minutes, Um, and that's just my plight. My life is not writing down notes. It's just randomly thinking of things that I haven't done yet that I need to do. And if they happen to cross my mind at a specific moment, then great. Serendipity, right? And if they don't, well such as life it's like when it's communicating with you like if you happen to have the phone in your hand and you're looking at it and then i send you a text then it's like a good 25 percent chance that i'll actually respond <laughs> that's a, i didn't so when i saw i think it was a tweet from andrew um i thought you had put it up so i'm like oh i'm gonna go check it out that's cool and uh, wait I, I don't see it there I'm like no 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 he was he was hinting to me that um this this lazy lazy good for nothing uh sob has not yet put up his post nice Awesome. Well, here we are. What are we, two hours in or something? Perfect. Something like that. Yeah. Good. Just hitting it right on the dot. I love it. It's pretty close. It's uh, not quite two hours, but it, we're, you know, it's, it was getting there. So we, we thought it we is the off season after all. Yeah. But awesome. I mean, we love John. He's great. We, the three of us, we should definitely do something on Sirius XM. So tell, tell your, uh, your Pac-12 representative. I know John didn't want to be included in that, but he's, he's awesome at this stuff. I don't know why he wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, John's great. He's uh, going to be our third co-host. Yeah, he should be. So he's the guy. He's the the, no, the knowledge guy. We're just like the blowhard guys. He'll be the guy that knows things. That, you know, we get Kyle too. We'll have a four-man team. Yeah, yeah, Kyle. He's kind of you know he knows a little bit. He can talk a little bit. That's good. You know, he's not not the sharpest guy. No, I'm just kidding. We look <laughs> kind of kind of a, a dummy, really. Yeah, you know, he went to Washington oh, wait, State. Is this right? on? Are we still are we still recording? <laughs> we are. Poor Kyle. Um, he's actually down, uh, at the Todd McNair trial downtown LA 
with uh, my guy, my uh, reporters, Dan and Keely are down there. Um, so Kyle's down there with them. So I think there's only three reporters so far. It's like jury selection, so it's kind of uh, kind of boring. But him and he's down there. So say hi to Kyle if you if you see him out. If you happen to be at the L.A. Superior Courthouse, go say hi to Kyle and say we were talking trash about him. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's listening right yeah. now. <laughs> he does. He does like to listen. So even the two-hour ones, he will. So Kyle, we love you. We are just kidding. And uh, thanks to John. Uh, thanks to Dave for putting that stuff up. Like he said, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm, I can be <laughs> counted on. I am a dependable sort. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember, you know, send us a tweet, send us a text, tell us we suck, whatever you want to do. We do appreciate all the feedback. And thanks again to John Wilner. That is David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time.